Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Hi, it's Jeanette here. If you're enjoying Brave, Bold, Brilliant, I'd love it if you'd subscribe, share with your friends and leave a five-star review. Let's do it. Here's the show. And you know what, Alex, even if you're on your own in your business, you're a solopreneur, you can still do that. All you just need to do is have the discipline of blocking a bit of time in your diary, maybe once a month where you might even just sort of take yourself out of your normal environment and just spend a bit of time on your own with your thoughts, getting it down on paper and just kind of giving yourself a bit more of that innovation headspace which you don't often have when you're in the weeds sometimes running your business Mm. Um, you do want to try and create an environment where you can have thinking time and not always doing time Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast, and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. Welcome to this week's episode of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex, and my very special guest this week, Jeanette Linford. Jeanette is a corporate CEO turned entrepreneur with a multi-million business portfolio. She essentially helps business owners and senior executives take their business and career to the next level. She's got a great backstory, worked for some really big companies like MD at TUI, uh, CEO at Saga. She's also the host of Brave, Bold and Brilliant, an amazing podcast, which amongst others, you can listen to myself and Rob Moore feature as guests. So she's got a great backstory. We met on Clubhouse, of course, We recorded this online during one of the pandemics, and we've since met up in person at the Bournemouth Rugby Sevens. Uh, We share a love of all things audio, podcast, clubhouse, of rugby, of travel, and of all things entrepreneurial. So we talk about a whole bunch of different things uh, during our chat. We focus around leadership, uh, around resilience, around decision-making as well, uh, around customers, around technology and innovation. So lots of interesting topics here for those of you who are entrepreneurs or want to be entrepreneurs and 
you know, really listen to Jeanette's knowledge on this subject. She's great fun uh, as well. And I know you're really going to enjoy this episode. So without further ado, screw it, just do it. Jeanette Limford. Jeanette, before we get going, would you like, uh, I, I know who you are and what you do. And we've got a shared background as podcast hosts and also in the travel industry. Um, would you like just to share a little bit about your background um, and what you're up to right now? Yeah, sure. I will do, Alex. Thank you for having me on. It's great to be here, everyone. Uh, so, yeah, so you can probably tell from my dulcet tones, I am a northerner. So I was uh, brought up in Manchester the youngest of three daughters and yeah, very happy family life, but from a very working class family. I was the only one to go to university, etc. And I spent most of my corporate life in the uh, travel industry. So I started from the bottom, if you like, on a graduate scheme, right the way to becoming the CEO of the travel division for Saga. So I had 1,700 people on my team, 400 million of turnover of, uh, of um, business. And I was also the MD of the emerging markets for TUI. So I bought, ran, sold businesses internationally in Russia, China, India, all over the place. But I jumped out three years ago and essentially became an entrepreneur. So for many people listening, that will be the, an interesting um, perspective about how do you leave a job, maybe, to actually go out and become your own boss. So where I am today, Alex, is I have um, a portfolio of businesses, multi-million pound property investment business. I do a lot of advisory work on mergers and acquisitions, helping businesses scale and grow. I'm also a mentor. So I work one-to-one -one with people and also um, have a new mastermind program that maybe we'll talk about later. And I'm the host of the podcast, Brave, Bold, Brilliant, which is all about how you can reach your true potential in life. So yeah, that is me in a nutshell, Alex. Quick canter through. <laughs> Brilliant. Appreciate it. And um, yeah, I can see a little bit of that behind you next to the bookcase, the Brave, Bold and Brilliant <laughs> podcast, which uh, which I've been on myself as well. So um, yeah, excited to have you here. And, uh, you know, again, my background, a little bit about that, where we kind of cross over, I think, with regards to, you know, responding quickly to conditioned in changing or emerging markets. There's no better example than uh, the travel industry, the airline industry. And I spent 16 and a half years at Virgin Atlantic. And, you know, I, I remember all through those years how often um, things were determined by the price of a barrel of oil. And that would literally change super, super quickly. And you had to be ready to act on the changes and you can, you can hedge some of that, of course, but equally um, you've got to have the right type of people on board your organization to be able to make those decisions and, and act quickly rather than, well, quite as often the case, not make any decision at all, which is probably the worst thing you can do. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. <laughs> um, and look, given, given what we've been through um, globally in the, in the last 15 months, um, uh, you know, a pandemic, for example, um, what other scenarios do, do you see when people have to respond quickly to, to market conditions? I mean, most people's experience will just be this, but you know, I can cast my mind back to the last financial crisis. I can even cast it back to the one before that when I came out of university. Um, 
and other people might point to things like the Gulf War, for example. But um, given your experience, what kind of conditions do uh, you know examples throw up in your mind when it comes to having to um, respond quickly? Yeah, I mean, you're right, Alex. The travel industry is absolutely, you know, the perfect example of being prone to every single macroeconomic, global, you know, shock possible. It's it's a very complex business. And also, the profit margins are very thin as well. So, you know, that also puts more pressure. So, I think for me, the key thing is when... um, when things don't always go right and you need to be able to respond quickly, you know, whether it's a, a global pandemic like we've had to deal with now or whether it's ash cloud or whether it's, you know, evacuating from a hurricane or, you know, any of those sort of major events like that um, or an economic crash. I think for me, the first thing is you have to be able to just really calmly take stock of the situation um so and and then really when you have a great team who are experts in their field in their various areas for me it's around pulling the team together taking stock where we are what are our options and making sure that then you are effectively delegating and getting the right people taking the right actions at the time. Mm. So you can never do it on your own, I would say, but you do have to have a sense of calm because otherwise you create panic around the whole team, around the whole business, and you just have to look at the facts. And then what the other thing I would say as a leader, it's so important that you make a decision because yeah. you might always get it right um, and you might not have every single piece of information that you would like. But being a leader, whether you're in a big business or a small business, is all about making decisions with the information you have at the time, even if that's imperfect information. And once you've made that decision, then it's all about really empowering the team um, you know, to kind of get on with it. And then I would say in a, in a scenario um, like this, communication is key. Yeah. So I remember after 9-11, I was heading up the long-haul division for Thompson way back when. And we had aircraft all over the world. Mm. You know, we had passengers stuck. We had all sorts of stuff. So, you know, in a travel world, we had the duty office, and that becomes the nerve center um, where all the decisions are made, the communication is slick, the, the um, updates come back in. So I think you've got to have resilience as a leader. You have to yeah. have a sense of calm have the right people around you, make a decision and really have a clear action um, action plan that you work to and you measure against. It's it, interesting, isn't it? Like when you look back o- over the um, over the last 15 months and clearly you can see how um, some countries, shall we say, made decisive decisions right there, even though they might not have been armed with that much information because information was limited. Nobody had ever seen anything like this before. Nobody forecast this. Um, again, the same thing happened when it came to the vaccination program, whereas other countries clearly didn't make any decision, just kept waiting and waiting and waiting for the perfect moment. And of course, as, as, as we know, there is never a perfect moment to, to make a decision. You just have to make a decision. Yeah, the last thing you want to be doing is is um, making a, a an already stressful scenario worse by mm. not being clear with your communication and and sort of um, procrastinating, Alex. As well, yeah, I'd agree yeah. with you wholeheartedly. Do you think a company 
again, based on your experience, you have some sort of set of protocols uh, or some kind of prepared response for, I don't know, a situation or a series of situations. And I guess the bigger the organization goes uh, and, and the more resources they have, in theory, <laughs> they should have, you know, more plans for different scenarios. I mean, we had Brexit was another one I didn't even mention that just popped into my head there. You know, the changes in tariffs, access to markets, rising costs, all those sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. So you'd have, um, I mean, certainly the businesses that I've run, which have had, you know, extensive operations globally and with big teams, we would have protocols for all different types of scenarios documented. Yeah. So, and, and also what we would do is we would do dry runs, um, so that we were testing the processes, the procedures, and looking for those, you know, things that would would maybe there were some areas of improvement. So I would, for example, when I was at Saga, I had four businesses in in my portfolio, and we used to actually have sort of um, disaster planning sessions. So I would we would create a li- almost like a live event, replicate it. So a bomb's gone off in, you know. Right. Egypt. And then the emergency response team kicks in. So for the team, they feel it's like a very real situation and they know how to respond, but it allows you to then, you know, pick out any areas of improvement. And then we do a whole review afterwards. So we would test those those protocols and procedures at least once a quarter um, with different scenarios so that the team won't get more confident dealing with it, but also, you know, make sure that we've, we've not missed anything or that the world might have changed, you know, because social media is, is such a big thing in today's mm. world. Whereas 10 years ago, that wasn't a, a consideration. What should your social media response be in the event of a certain situation was never a factor, whereas it's critical now. So, uh, yeah, yeah that, that's how I've always run those businesses, Alex, because also you're de- very often you're dealing with people's lives. Mm. You know, so it might be death, there might be a bomb. I mean, any manner of things that, that you know, disaster response that I've had to deal with. Um, so you, you can't ever forget and lose sight of the customer. And I guess if you're in a smaller business, you're not going to have necessarily all of that in place, but you will have, hopefully, almost like a, 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 more, a more streamlined version, something that's right for your business. Um, you know, so it's not just about big business. It's, it also applies to smaller businesses, depending which area you're, you're in. Well, often now, isn't it, like the, the first response is often via, you, you mentioned social media, I hadn't mentioned that before, but often the first response is like, a tweet, for example. I mean, you've seen yeah. what Donald Donald Trump, as as former, I like saying that former president of the uh, of the United States of America, used to um, literally introduce everything via, via via a tweet. And you see other companies, be that in the in the music industry or the sports industry, announcing things. Literally, their first response is via social media, whichever platform that might be, and that platform probably ultimately depends on where the uh, the biggest market share of their audience is, is hanging out and, and um, uh, accesses them, I should say. Yeah, yeah, because that's the way that you're communicating to, you know, your customers, the press, uh, your, your suppliers, you know, it's the whole chain very often. And so what we would always have in, in my previous life of running those very big businesses, we would have different categories of events mm-hmm. that therefore dictated who was going to be um, appropriately speaking to the press, for example. Okay. 
Yeah. So, you know, if there was a, a situation which involved X number of fatalities, for example, well, then it would maybe it'd be me that would be on the camera. If it was a, a certain level above that, it would yeah. be the group CEO. So all of this is all documented, all kind of there, because I think it's like anything, though, in life that if you, you if you can, can you can control the controllables but you can't control everything but if you apply an 80 20 rule so that you've got systems processes and things that run really smoothly on the day-to-day -day business then when something does come along unexpected that you have to deal with you're much better equipped to do that yeah. whereas if you don't have that in place it, it's incredibly stressful People can literally die as a result of it. Let's not let's not forget. Uh, mm. And also, it just means that the team then just work really smoothly together. So it's a yeah, it becomes a very important, well-oiled machine. To be honest, Alex. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was at Virgin. Was um, don't put Richard in front of the camera until um, you've got all of the all of the facts available because yeah. <laughs> you don't know what he's going to say. <laughs> But no, I, I, I mean, I, I can remember back to that time as well. Like, and I remember 9-11 because I was in the middle of an interview for a management position when literally all the alarms went off in the building. And we had, again, uh, airplane in the sky. We had people actually in the twin trade towers at the time when the, when the, when the planes hit the building. So, I mean, you can't plan for that scenario, but you, you can obviously plan for a series of scenarios. Um, and how about kind of bringing it back to something that a lot of uh, maybe small business owners um, can, can uh, put processes and systems in place for? How about something like um, there's a, a technical break, breakthrough, there's innovation. Um, at the same time, that's going to result in a response and how quickly you can uh, change to the, to the condition in that market that your business happens to be in, for example. What would you, what would you suggest people can, can put in place with that? Because it's obviously very different from you know, one scale on you know, big businesses, and we're talking about global catastrophes, but kind of filtering it through to hopefully in the more day-to-day you know, -day, um, trends that we see happening within our markets, what about something that you see something ch changing super quickly um, and there's some kind of technical breakthrough? How would you go about, or an innovation, how would you go about um, you know, not, not necessarily putting all your eggs in one basket, but having to respond to that? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the the first scenario we were talking about really is about managing downside risk yeah. and, and yeah. about dealing with a, an event, which is a negative event that has to be done to protect, you know, the customer, but also the financial position and the reputation of the business. Right. So that that's one set of circumstances. But you're right. Actually, the the it's more around the upside risk, the opportunity risk of not taking advantage of yes. things in, in the world of tech or whatever. So I think, you know, as a, as a small business, it's really about keeping yourself informed and well connected, you know, through through like things like this, logging into to seminars and, and just sort of really having your finger on the pulse. Uh, Clubhouse is a great way to hear around what's happening in social media. So I think you you have to always be learning something, I think, every day, both as an individual, but also as a business. So that keeps your sort of radar up, if you like, your antennae up. And then once you start to see a certain trend or something that maybe you think, oh, yeah, this could be great for my business, I would then very much apply a test and learn approach 
because I think sometimes you can see an opportunity and you, you, you want to create the perfect plan and the perfect kind of actions and strategy and all of this stuff. But very often, it's just a case of getting a minimal viable product out there, yeah. testing it, tweaking it as you go, um, and then that allows you to be very agile. It's the same with any tech development. You know, actually, I, I've introduced a lot of um, tech platform changes over the over my years, mm-hmm. and we would always work in, in an agile way with sprints, so rather than the old way of doing things where you'd put a whole new infrastructure in, you'd have it all mapped out end to end. It might take you three years to put the damn thing into the business. Mm. By the time you deliver it, it's out of date because the yeah. world's moved on. So yeah. I think an agile approach to tech development as well, having a minimal viable product um, is, is the best way. Because also you might find it, it's a passing phase or it's not right for your business. And if you've invested too much money into something, well, then, you know, you can often burn through cash. So I think test and learn, Alex, I would would always recommend, especially for a smaller business. Yeah, and I, I was going to mention, funnily enough, we, we've just come off um, hosting a room on Clubhouse, for example. That's new technical innovation. That's a new social media platform. You know, who's to say in 10 years' time that isn't the biggest social media channel in the world or who knows it's the next MySpace, which at the time everybody thought was, you know, the next shiny big thing, wasn't it? That was their first experience of of social media. So, um and I've seen that, you know, being in the, the audio space myself, you know, put it, putting it through to, you know, how do you respond to, to something changing, a technical breakthrough, an innovation? You know, my initial response is how much do I actually need another social media platform in my life? But then it was actually, if I don't understand what this is, will I be left behind as, uh, as a podcast agency owner if all of my competitors take advantage of this technology and are the first to market with it first to first to embrace it mm. for example um so do you do you think um somebody's greatest competitive advantage in fact is lies in their ability to to respond and how they respond you know more the fact that they do respond rather than necessarily how they respond yeah, yeah, I think so. But you, you have to place your bets, don't you? Because you, know, exactly. you can't do everything. So no. I, it's really important to prioritize and focus as well. So, yes, on the one hand, you don't want to miss out on, you know, innovation and things that are happening in the tech game. But you also have to say, is this right for my business and for the for my target customer? Because, you know, you might you can easily get distracted, I think. And we can sometimes as entrepreneurs, you know, we follow the shiny penny. So it's trying to get the right balance. So I think it's one, keep yourself informed. Almost then you could once a month, I think it's a great thing to do. And something that I advise my clients that I work with, you know, you almost have a bit of a, a brain dump. What's going on in the market? What, what are my competitors doing? What new innovation is there? And you sort of take a look at all of that and say, okay, which ones of these could be really interesting or relevant Mm. for my business? And you might pick, you know, two, maybe three, but not too much because otherwise you find that you're you're, one, you you can actually end up missing what's going on in your core business and neglect that. 
Um, but also you can end up spending a lot of time and effort on something that maybe isn't quite appropriate for your business. So I think you have to make a judgment call, again, not with the complete information, but say, actually, yeah, okay, I think Clubhouse could be cool. So I'm going to give it a defined period of time and I'm going to allocate X amount of my time, effort and resources to it to see how it goes. And if that then becomes the big thing, brilliant, you can scale up from there. So I, I think it's a great thing, which uh, my mentor, Rob Moore, always reminds me of, actually apply a 70-20-10 rule. So, you know, 70% may be your core business, which is where you make your money and where you focus most of your time. 20% is sort of almost your secondary strategy. Maybe it's a new market or a new product you're introducing or a new customer you're appealing to. And 10% might be the sort of innovative stuff that you're just trying and and seeing where it might go. And I think that's a really good tool to be able to apply to any business, actually, Mm. because otherwise you can get very distracted and end up achieving nothing. Yeah, no, I like that. 70-20-10 roll. That's yeah. a good one. That is a good, and I also like the idea, and I think it's probably easily, relatively easily implementable for, for everybody who's who's watching and listening to this to actually do that brainstorming exercise, whether that's, you know, uh, weekly, monthly, quarterly, whatever that might be, that um, everybody in the team brings something to the table and has a discussion about it. And um, yeah, I think that's something that everybody will be able to do, no matter what the size of their organization. Yeah. Yeah, and you, yeah. And you know what, Alex, even if you're on your own in your business, you're a solopreneur, you can still do that. Yeah. All you just need to do is have the discipline of blocking a bit of time in your diary, maybe once a month where you might even just sort of take yourself out of your normal environment and just spend a bit of time on your own with your thoughts, getting it down on paper and just kind of giving yourself a bit more of that innovation headspace which you don't often have when you're in the weeds sometimes running your business Mm. Um, you do want to try and create an environment where you can have thinking time and not always doing time yeah no and I think I can I can relate to that personally and that I would always block that time out to do that and then of course when you get busy or busier, one of the first things that goes is that. But if you'd actually block that out, like you say, in your diary, you know, you know it's going to happen and you're going to keep up to date rather than then reading about it on social media through one of your competitors announcing it as a bit of a thought leadership piece on, on LinkedIn or something like that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. Um, do you think your, your customers should be the driving force behind any changes to your business? Oh, it's a good question. Um, It depends, (laughs) is my answer. Now, I will always, always say you have to be really close to your customers. Uh, And it doesn't matter how big your business is. If you make assumptions about your clients or your customers um, that are not current, you can end up going down the wrong track. So I think it's great to be able to test things with your customers, to get feedback, you know, to actually be using them to help shape a proposition. Maybe you launch I don't know, a new product or something, you give them maybe a discounted rate so that they can actually help you shape it up. So I think using your existing customers to help inform what you're putting together is a really smart thing to do. Mm. However, there are certain situations where maybe your customer only knows what they know. 
you know, and I think a great example of this is Apple. So, you know, if Steve Jobs had actually asked people, would they yeah. want an iPad or an iPhone, they would never have come up with what the his his vision was. Yeah. So, so there are examples where you, if you're being very innovative, that maybe it's you you sort of have to run with something, run with your gut instinct a little bit, and yeah. shape something up, and then and then start trialing it. So I think it, I think both are relevant, actually, Alex. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it's not a definitive answer. Uh, but your customers, your customers are really a key, aren't they? You know, and, and they become your brand champions. I mean, I would always also say be really clear on how your customer base is segmented. So I always look at almost like a pyramid, if you like. So you might have people who are at the, the, the bottom of the pyramid that are maybe, you know, high volume, but they're buying a, a lower value product from you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you will, you you know, you will approach those in a slightly different way than someone who is, you know, spending significant, significant hundreds of thousands, millions of pounds with you, who are your most high value customers. So it's really important to segment your customer database and then apply the relevant or an appropriate marketing strategy and also an appropriate product and service strategy. And being customer centric is not about trying to be able to serve everyone in the same way. It's about yeah. a conscious choice. So again, it's a slight, a slight, and it wasn't the question, Alex, but um, I think it's really useful to be able to do that. Know who your highest value customers are, um, mm. and, and how you're actually taking people with you through the journey, so that they move up and become those high value customers over time. Yeah, it's a good point, and I, and I wish I could remember the figures, but I always remember it, um, when I was at Virgin Atlantic, and we're going back over a decade now. But when they actually, you know, one of those. Um, team meetings that, that that we would have with with the management, and they they broke down you know the percentage of the revenue for the business and where that came to with regards to upper class, premium economy, economy, and then the cargo and the figures was just you know crazy and that how much it was obviously slanted to to somebody paying four or five grand for an upper class seat compared to someone paying a couple of hundred pounds you know four five six seven hundred pounds which is still a lot of money yeah. But 300 of those people buying that, as you'll, you'll probably know the statistics better than me having been in that industry as well. But it was just crazy, I remember. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's not to say that those, those you know, lower ticket type customers aren't important. They are, absolutely. But, you you know, you're going to have a different approach, aren't you, to someone yeah. that's, um, that's maybe booked 10, 20, 30 times with you. Um, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I like the example you gave with Apple because I was I was thinking of the one with um, with Ford as well with regards to bringing out the Model T Ford like he would have brought out a faster horse rather than yeah. bringing the car up. He actually asked the customers what they wanted. So I think uh, I think Apple's always a, always a great example to to use in that regard as well. Um, and so having talked about customers, what about employees then? How key are your employees, and particularly? Um, hiring the right kind of employees and and maybe also the environment you you create for those employees that maybe encourages creativity thinking on your feet so if you do end up with you know changing market conditions um, you've got the right kind of people around you who can respond in kind to that rather than the kind of people who will either bury their head in the sand or get frozen in the headlights 
Well, it's critical. It, it really is. You know, it, it doesn't matter what game you're in, what business you're in. People, your people are, are everything, right? Um, and yeah, businesses always say, don't they? Oh, what's your what's your what's your most important asset? My people. And then when you ask them how much they invest in their people, often there's a disproportionately low amount of budget allocated to, to developing people and supporting them with their careers and, and, and what have you. So I think it's an inter interesting element. I mean, I always use the analogy, and I always have over the years, is you want to get the right people on the bus in the first place. You want them sitting in the right seats and you want everyone facing in the same direction so that's just a really simple way of looking at it but yeah mm. attracting talent into your organization is is so so important but then of course it's around career progression how they have stretch in a role how you reward them how you motivate them you know the whole piece is so so it, it critical it really is and and you're right about the culture piece because fit I find is often the thing that trips people up because culture is quite hard to define. It's a bit ethereal, you know, and, uh, mm. and actually, but it's often you can hire for technical skills and there are certain roles where absolutely you, you know, you need, if you were, if you're having a, <laughs> if you're having heart surgery, you want someone that's technically capable of, of doing that operation. right? Um, but still actually attitude, drive motivation is also important so what are the behaviors and the values that actually you want to see demonstrated in your team so i think when you're hiring people it's as important to be able to find the right fit of style and motivation and aspirations for growth etc as it is the technical skills mm -hmm. so for me i think you you have to be able to to test both and don't forget also, I think through the recruitment process, they're also choosing you. So yeah. it, it is yeah. very much a, a two-way street. And, you know, you often hear that, you know, that, that people will join brands, but they will leave their boss or their, mm. you know, who, who they report into because of maybe a clash of style or personality. So it's absolutely critical. I mean, I love always, uh, you know, creating high-performing teams and and having giving people the the empowerment to do their job recruit smart people recruit people who are smarter than yourself yeah delegate effectively and get out of their way and let them do their jobs don't micromanage and that is sometimes very difficult especially if you're in a smaller business that maybe you've only you've started yourself and you're having you're taking on your first employee and it's a quite a big deal mm. and you're quite emotionally connected uh, but you do have to let people get on and do their jobs <laughs> effectively you do you do indeed um and that's something i saw you know firsthand at Virgin with uh, Richard Branson, he would always hire, you know, somebody who was already doing what he wanted them to do, but doing it successfully for a competitor. Um, and then, you know, bring him over to our organization and did, you know, always have the, the skill set that he didn't have. So it's something that, um, that I always, you know, noted with, with whatever company he was, he was starting. Um, and also look, I think expect change. Yeah, change changes change is normal, isn't it? The one the one constant is change. So, you know, if market conditions don't change, you should probably be worried, shouldn't you? Because it's literally just around the corner. Yeah, hundred percent. And and it is sometimes it's quite hard to 
some people fear change you know they they struggle with it in particular yeah. if you're in an organization that's maybe been run in a certain way for quite a long time you know yeah. that was the case when i joined saga it was it had been a family business set up in the 50s by the Dehan family the culture was very strong and it had lots of positives but it was very traditional um, so, you know, one of the reasons that, that I joined and why I was brought in was to, to really try and to, to kind of bring a new perspective and a more, maybe a more modern way, shall we say, of, of doing certain things. And when you're in that scenario, you will often, you'll get lots of people that maybe they flourish. You know, they, they could have been sort of lost in that organisation, never spotted before, but you give them the right environment and they shine, you know, they do really well. And equally, you sometimes come across people that, you know, just this next phase is just not for them. Yeah. And that's okay. So, you know, it's it's fine to part company, actually, and say, you know, that's probably better on both sides that you move on and do something else. And, and you know, the organization can do the same. So treating people in the right way in those in those situations is really key as well. But yeah, change is the one constant, right? I mean, it's, we're all changing, you're either growing or dying, right? So <laughs> yeah, and maybe it's, um, you know, also, I mean, coming back to, you know, talking about the staff there, but being able to see opportunity within that change, because if you're, if you're, if your eyes are shut and your ears are shut, <laughs> you're not going to see the opportunities that, that exist. But as we know, you know, just going back a little over a, a decade, you know, the likes of an, an Airbnb or, or whomever, you know, those, those, those or, or an Uber were born out of the last recession. Uh, a closer example would be um, Grenade, Alan Barrett, who's, who's, who's a friend of mine, you know, literally started it nine, 10 years ago and just sold now to Cadbury's for, for, for 200 million. But back then they started the business with 27 pounds out of a recession with the, everybody, you know, saying, why, why would you start a business in a recession? So, and I think we've seen, at least in the UK, I don't know the wider stats, but more people than in any other year start businesses last year. So people have seen the opportunities that exist within these rapidly changing market conditions that we've seen over the last year. How many, you know, probably the most popular word that's been coined has been pivot, isn't it? You know, if that's not adapting or responding quickly to market conditions, I don't know what is. Yeah, 100%. And, and I think it's around creating the environment, isn't it, where people um, feel more comfortable with change. And let's face it, a lot of people, they just, they, you know, the human nature is what's in it for me. Yeah. So yeah. if you can demonstrate the opportunities that, that come up for people in a business to either maybe, you know, grow and develop or progress their career or move into a different part of the business that maybe they've always wanted to and never had the chance, you know, and you can reward people for for, for actually making those changes, then that's when you get the most out of people so that they don't feel threatened by it. They do actually see it as, wow, this is great because this is at my chance to shine. And I think if you can always bring it down to the individual and how it can benefit them, you've got much better chance of getting buy-in and, and making those changes happen. I think it's so yeah. important. You might have a really big vision for your business, but each and every, every single person needs to know how how they contribute to that, mm. you know, how they're, they're valued. Uh, you know, what was it, the uh, the NASA Space Center when someone asked the cleaner, what are you doing? He said, I'm helping put a man on the moon. You know, and, and I think that, <laughs> yeah, that, that sort of story is, is, is a great, great way to summarize it, you know. And if, if every single person, whether you're the cleaner or the CEO, 
you're all you're all important. Everyone plays a part. And, and I think that's the thing with change and innovation. You can get people excited about it and, and feel that there's an environment for them to put ideas out there that are seriously considered. Well, then how cool is that? Because the best ideas are often sitting with the front-facing teams, the ones that are in, you know, in a customer-facing role. Mm. You know, so I, I always say you look at um, like an organ, a typical organization structure. It's like a pyramid, isn't it? With you know the boss at the top and all the you know the people down below that are actually dealing with the customers. What I used to do when I was running big teams was I used to reverse the pyramid and say, actually, no, these guys are the ones that are most important. Um, not, not me at the top. It's these. It's the people that are dealing with the customer day in, day out, and that's often where you've got the best ideas. So if you can encourage that and have an environment for that to flourish, I think that's a really cool thing to do. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Really good point uh, to, to finish up on, I think, uh, today, to be honest with you. Um, you know, change, change is the one constant, isn't it? Um, and we've never seen anything change so quickly in our lives and it has been in the last uh, 15 months. But hopefully, no matter where you are uh, in the world, um, things are changing for the better with your business. Um, wh whatever stage you're at, you know, hopefully over the next three days, um, you're going to find something that's going to be able to, to help you um, when it comes to um, scaling your business. Um, next up, literally in 10 minutes, we've got Piers Linney, um, former BBC uh, Dragon. And that probably leads on quite nicely, to be honest with you. We, we touched on it earlier, Jeanette, but go-to-market strategy for scale-up. So um, I know we touched on it a little bit beforehand. So um, I think that will be a good one. Um, for people who want to find out a little bit more about who you are and what you do, um, what's the easiest way they can do that? They can obviously check out uh, the Brave bold, brilliant podcast and Thank they can you. Um, find you on what's the easiest way would you say LinkedIn for you probably yeah I, I mean I'm on LinkedIn I'm on Facebook um, I've got a website uh, JeanetteLinfootAssociates.com as well I'm on Instagram Clubhouse so I'm pretty much all over the place it's hard to avoid the gobby northern Mancunian I'm afraid <laughs> but I would love to connect with all of you and yeah, if any of you are interested in, you know, I do one-to-one -one mentoring as well um, and I've got a new mastermind coming out. So if anyone's interested in any of that and really want to kind of take your business to the next level or your career to the next level, um, what I try to do is bring together the best of both worlds of big business, but with entrepreneurial startup um, sort of mindset as well. So it's a more practical application. So yeah, that's me. I really hope you've enjoyed Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Don't forget to subscribe and share with all your friends. And if you've enjoyed listening, I'd love it if you'd leave me a five-star review.